Welcome to Back from the Brink. It is Wednesday, the 24th of March, 2021. Aaron will be joining us in just a minute. And I want to say thank you for listening. Hey, um, on this day, as we were leaving the radio show, we were, um, you know, talking about the fact that uh, we lost to George Segal yesterday, uh, George Siegel, uh not sure actually how you pronounce it. I guess it was Siegel. It wasn't Seagal. That was Steven Seagal. Um, anyhow, you know, he was a phenomenal actor. He'd been around for years and years. And, you know, he's one of those faces that you'll go like, oh, yeah, he was in that thing and that thing and that thing. He went on for a long time. Uh, most recently was playing the grandpa on the Goldbergs. Uh, apparently the last episode will air the 17th of April uh, that he had already recorded and was in the can. Um, and then they'll uh, probably have the character die as well um, shortly thereafter, and, you know, they'll do a dedication or something to him. Um, but what a career. He was doing things back in the late 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. I mean, he was just, he's been a, a, a phenomenal actor over a long period of time. Um, the won a couple Emmys for the um, show Just Shoot Me, um, you know, in uh, Ship of Fools, King Rat, Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, Massacre uh, Bloom and Love, Touch of Class, California Split. Uh, he's worked with uh, Dustin Hoffman and Barbara Streisand. And, uh, you know, he was on a um, uh, uh, movies with um, uh, people like... Um, um, you know, John Wayne. I mean, he just, he had been around for a long, long time. Um, uh, when he played the, the role in, uh, uh, King Rat, it was like, it was about a, a scheming POW, uh, during World War II. It was originally written for Frank Sinatra and then he got cast and did really well. He worked with Vivian Lee and Lee Marvin, um, uh, Richard Burton, Elizabeth Taylor. I mean, the guy had been, you know, you name it in terms of uh, uh, big name actors and actresses. He'd worked with them at some time, as well as uh, uh, filmmakers. You know, he, uh, Carl Reiner, Sidney Lumet, uh, uh, or Sidney Lumet, Paul Mazursky. Uh, he worked with. Uh, uh, it was Robert Altman in California Split. Uh, you know, he acted with Elliot Gould, Robert Redford. Um, it just, you name it, he had worked with them, and he was one of those kind of guys who who could play just about any role, um, and uh, was was really really good at it. Um, the um, I'm trying to think of. Um, The probably the closest guy I can think of to somebody like that today is Brian Cranston. You know, so if you're familiar with Brian Cranston, um, you know he obviously uh, he was in, uh, you know, Malcolm in the Middle, but but is probably more well known for Walter White in Breaking Bad. But he could, you know, he can do comedy, he can do uh, drama, he can do dramedy. He's sort of that every man who can play all kinds of different roles. He's not the obvious leading man type, and yet he's good looking enough to play a leading man in some things. He just, uh, 
you know, is, is, uh, you know, super talented guy. Um, so it, it's funny because they, they talk about, you know, if you look at, at his, um, Wikipedia page, they talk about mid career difficulties that, uh, that, um, you know, during the middle of his career that he ran across some, some movies that weren't super strong and, uh, and, uh, you know, he, he just wasn't quite, um, uh, having hits, I guess the movies he, he was in, whether by, by his choice and picking poor movies or, or, you know, poor marketing by the, the companies that were putting the movies out. But, uh, you know, he had a, a renaissance on television later in his career. Like I said, Just Shoot Me, he got a couple of Emmys for and played that absolutely um, uh, amazingly. And then, you know, he, he was, again, doing movies and stuff like that afterwards. And, uh, you know, he, he's uh, just an interesting guy and uh, and was interesting to watch and, and could play, you know, just about anything. Um, and... Uh, I mentioned after the, as we were ending too, that, you know, we just lost Elgin Baylor, who I think is probably one of the most underappreciated superstars in NBA in that, you know, he was in an era just before everything went super, super high profile with like Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. He was in the, you know, his his career ended at the beginning of the seventies and those guys came in at the end of the seventies. And so, uh, you know, he, he wasn't as well known as, Magic and Bird and Michael Jordan. And yet, if you take his numbers and compare them to some of the superstars of the game, like I did a comparison between him and Kobe Bryant the other day, and in almost every category, he comes out on top of Kobe Bryant, other than cumulative uh, career stats, because cumulatively, uh, you know, Kobe played for five more years than he did. So he had, you know, more total points and more total everything almost because with the exception, I think, of rebounds, even with five more years, Kobe didn't catch up to to him in rebounds because Kobe, you know, was not, a, you know, he Kobe, Kobe was a, a shooting guard um, and uh, Elgin Baylor was more of a, uh, uh, you know, a, a small forward. And uh, so they played the position a little different. And, of course, the games were a little different back then, too, the, the way the game played. And, you know, and it's since since then even evolved into, um, you know, quite a different game with the advent of uh, the uh, the way the three three point line is now used. I mean, the three point line existed for a while before they kind of hit on the right way to use it. And, uh, and nowadays it's a major part of the game. Here's Aaron. Hey there. Hi. So I was just kind of going over using uh, his Wikipedia page to share some of the different things that uh, George Siegel had done over his lifetime and, you know, what a phenomenal career he's had. And I'm curious to see what you think of my comparison. I said the the guy that I could think of that's probably closest to him in terms of just versatility, can play comedy, can play drama, can, can be that everyman. But he's, you know, good looking enough that he can also be a leading man, kind of fits in lots of different places, is Brian Cranston. Oh, I never thought about that. Uh, yes, Brian Cranston's insane. By the way, his comedy is 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 out oh, there. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. He's <laughs> he's in a good way. In a good yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all you have to do is watch the. I think like the first episode of Malcolm in the Middle, where his, you know, he's sitting naked with a newspaper blocking you from seeing him while his wife shaves his body, and you're going, "This is a guy who'll do anything for a laugh." Oh yes. <laughs> 
Yes. And the rest of the family's walking around like nothing's out of the ordinary. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, he's a funny guy. So, you know, and that's the same guy who then becomes Walter White. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I don't know that I, I never want to put those together. So my brain is still getting still. I'm not sure I'm, yeah. I'm where you are, but, um, you know, because he. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Because he does play a straight man. I think Leslie Nielsen's probably closer. Where he plays um, straight, straight the straight man, and yeah, I know. I think you're right. I mean, he, yeah, Leslie Bo- Nielsen's oh, not a bad call either, though, in terms of somebody who uh, he's more of a contemporary than than Brian Cranston is. But he also, you know, although his career was like straight actor, straight actor, drama, 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 and then flips a switch, and now I'm going to be crazy, bonkers, you know, maniacal funny, right? Yes. Um, Whereas it seems like uh, Cranston just kind of depends on the role. <laughs> depends on my mood. Yes. I'll, I'll be, you know. And, and you got to say, though, too, even in Breaking Bad, there was a lot of sort of like ironical humor. Because as as vicious and gory as the story that's told in Breaking Bad is, there are scenes that you're just laugh out loud funny because of the absurdity of it. Right. It's like this leads to this leads to this leads to that. That, that whole that whole series was like. Well, this decision then leads to this, which leads to this, which leads to this, which leads to this, which leads to, this, which leads to the last episode. I mean, that whole thing was just so well constructed, you know. So, but there, yeah, but there was a lot Siegel, of comedy in there too. Yeah, George Siegel, um, yeah, phenomenal career. He had a phenomenal yeah. career. Woo! It's windy today. Yeah, Woo, a little breezy, wheezy. So actually, you know, it's funny, too, because I was also I, I went I hearkened back to the conversation the other day about Elgin Baylor. And I think he is probably one of the most underappreciated superstars in NBA history, because you can take his his stats and they stack up favorably to just about anybody. I mean, literally, you know, I compared his best seasons in his career to the best seasons that Kobe Bryant had. And he beat Kobe on, on everything except for, uh, uh, assists or yeah, assists. And, and, and Kobe beat him by assists by like, you know, less than three tenths of an assist per, per game average. I mean, it was, it was, and he beat Kobe by like five or six points a game, uh, you know, on average. I mean, it just, he, he scored more. He rebounded twice what Kobe did, you know, and, He's six five. Kobe was, you know, about the same height, so they were about the same size. I mean, they, you know, granted, the game was played a little differently back in the in the sixties and early seventies than it was played in the, uh, you know, the the nineties and two thousands. Uh, but it's just it's it's pretty phenomenal how good he was. In fact, I used to play a game. There was a website you could go to, being a Laker fan, and how many stars they've had over the years. It was okay. You you pick you get to pick a center. Well, actually, it was like pick five players and and build the best, the best Lakers team you can using using former like current or former Lakers, and uh, I think most people would overlook him and forget how awesome he was. So, you know? was the NBA the hype machine that it is now? Um, he was know. the pre- he was right before all that happened. Uh, you know, he 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 retired in '72, and and um, you know, Magic and and Larry Bird sort of came in and, and remade, started up the hype machine of uh, uh, 
of what the NBA is today in late 70s. And so he was just right before that time in terms of, you know, nutso craziness uh, in, you know, overall, like, being known. And that's part of the problem, you know, part of the problem. Yeah, I mean, because in the 80s, it became all about merchandising. It became all about, you know, that, 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 you know, on TV, you would hear more hype just in general. You would hear it was just that's where the hype really started, where the, right. the marketing juggernaut that is the NBA. That's when it really got going, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It really started the late 70s when, when you know, when uh, when Magic and Bird came in and yeah. then no, accelerated yeah, when time. Jordan. Right. And then when Jordan, um, you know, kind of took the mantle as they were getting older, um, it just became, you know, the thing that it is now, which is just craziness. So I'm just looking at Land of Basketball again. I, I compared Elgin Baylor to um, to Kobe Bryant, who you know a lot of people in the South, Southland talk about as one of the best players ever. Okay, here he is compared to Michael Jordan. You know, arguably, and, and some people would say not even arguably, the best player in the history of basketball, right? So the best season they ever played, Michael Jordan averaged 37.1 points a game. Elgin Baylor, in the best season he ever played, averaged 38.3. Oh. Okay. Best season they ever played. Michael Jordan averaged eight rebounds a game. Elgin Baylor, 19.8 rebounds a game. Holy smokes. Almost, yeah, better than twice as many. Assists per game. Elgin Baylor, 5.4. Michael Jordan, 8. So Michael Jordan did, you know, through more assists, helping his other teammates score. Uh, but I guess if you're scoring 38 points a game, it's tough to help the other guys do anything, right? Um, yeah. You know, I just, I just, you look at that and you say, well, what, was he compared favorably or not? I think he, he's comparable. That's the thing to say is this guy was stunningly good. And yet it happened. And people, you know, unless you're a historian of the game, you don't look back. <clears throat> you know, if you, you got to look back and see how, how stunningly phenomenal this guy was. So now this is the history, the best playoff game, best playoffs, their best, the, the year that they had the best record or their best stats in the playoffs, Elgin Baylor. 38.6, so about the same as is his season, and in fact, it was that same season. He was scoring 38 points a game. Michael Jordan's best playoffs, 43.7. Wow. So so he really upped his game in the playoffs. But that said, Elgin Baylor was still 17.7 rebounds. Michael Jordan was 7.9. So twice the rebounds, you know. And and then Michael Jordan, uh, was, their 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 assists were about the same. So Michael Jordan was, you know, had a few more assists per game, like three more assists per game. So you know, it's just, um, I guess the point is, is that here's a guy that if you mention him, a lot of people would go, who, you know, especially younger people uh, who don't you know know the history of the game. And this guy was phenomenal. Was phenomenal. You know, but he was playing at a time where the NBA didn't even have a regular nationwide television contract. And so a lot of his games were not only were not televised, they're not recorded. I mean, so there's there's no even record of them, um, you know, and, and there are some and, and, and there are compilation videos you can get of him. You know, you can go to YouTube and look for him of him scoring and playing so you can kind of see how he moved. He had some interesting like shot mechanics and stuff that that you don't see quite today, but it worked for him. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't want to dwell too much on how good Elgin Baylor was, but he was phenomenal. And so was George Siegel. So, so have you, you, you I, I, 
I'm guessing you probably aren't like a quote believer in the things you know people die in threes, but it's always you know it's like astrology. It's, it's one of those things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, we'll see what happens in the next week, right? If there's another like big name person that we know that uh, uh, passes, unfortunately. So um, yeah, but I know there's a lot of people who'll be like sitting on pins and needles, going, "Oh no." Oh no, it's not over yet. You know, and, and yeah, I mean, you know, if you want to sit down and read the obituaries, people die every day. You know, it's not necessarily threes. They do. You know, it's it's uh, people are born every day. You can you can read the birth announcements. You can read the obituaries. You know? William Shatner just turned ninety. I know, and the sucker is still working. You know, he's he's recorded. I didn't realize that he had done this. I, I had read or heard one of his recordings once years ago and, and laughed out loud because it was so bad. He has recorded like nine different albums, and he's getting oh ready to record gosh. another one. He's been writing songs during COVID, and he's getting ready oh, to, to release another album. Yeah, no and apparently they're all basically sort of a mix of him singing and spoken word. He does a lot of spoken word on his albums and his music. Because he can't carry a tune in a bucket, Todd. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, he sings some, but that's a little scary. But yes, yes. The funny thing was, the first one that I heard, he sounded, and and, and this was like, I think his first album, and I'd heard a clip of it sometime. He sounds just like Captain Kirk, and he talks just like Captain Kirk, you know, with these strange and obscure pauses. And it was just, it, and, and yeah, and I just, you know, I just started giggling the second it started. It was like, and it was like this weird, like, 60s beat music kind of going on in the background. You're like, no, <laughs> why did he do this? Because oh, hey. it's funny. He's, he's having fun. He's enjoying life. He's 90 years old. Let him do whatever he wants to do. You know, that's my feeling. It's like, hey, William Bill wants to do that. White. Yeah. And, oh, and he is funny, too. He really is. He is very self-depreciating. Uh, yeah, the um, the uh, was it on the um, the lawyer show he played um, Denny, Denny Crane. Denny Crane, Denny that's Crane. right. I yeah, and every time the show Boston Legal, yeah. Boston Legal. Yeah, I think it was Boston Legal, and uh, you know, and every time you saw him, he go he he introduced hi Denny Crane. <laughs> you know, yes. they made sure he said his name. <laughs> that was a good show. It really was. That was fun because it was. Uh, it was one of those dramas that that, it, that had that that thread of comedy going through it. You know, sort of like the Breaking Bad that I was talking about. It's definitely drama, but you sit down and watch it, and you're not just going to be traumatized by drama. It there was always that little thread of comedy. You know, in each story, there was the serious thing they were talking about. And and you cared about the characters, but then there was the irony, the the weird looks, the slightly little funny, slightly off sense of humor that just was, just so good, so well done. Ah, so I was wondering, um, did Boston Legal get cut because it's it uh, it's uh, uh, watching dropped or its viewership dropped, or did? Uh, uh, you know, they, I didn't realize that they did a spinoff called The Practice with several characters from the series' eighth season. I think some of the char- a lot of the um, characters moved on, but uh, James Spader, William Shatner, Candace Bergen, and his follow-off, The Practice. Yeah, I didn't watch The Practice, but but uh, Boston Legal I enjoyed. So. Yeah. Um. So, and this is an interesting story: an audiology professor. Um, uh, who co-authored a paper on COVID-19 and 
tinnitus or tinnitus, depending on how you pronounce it, was published uh, Monday, got quite a response. Apparently, some hundred emails in 24 hours from people responding to this. And here's a quote from the New York Times. Almost all of them, all of them were people saying, I was so happy to read about this because my doctor thought I was crazy when I mentioned tinnitus or tinnitus. And, and now I know I'm not the only one. Um, that's the constant ringing in your ears. It's not listed right. by the, the WHO or CDC as a COVID-19 symptom, but apparently it is. That's interesting. That's interesting. Oh, and annoying. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so, I um, occasionally will get a ringing in my ear, but it's usually transient and, and, and only lasts for a few minutes and then it's gone. But uh, while it's going on, it's it's maddening. Absolutely so, maddening. I didn't hear this news. Apparently, the CEO of Texas Roadhouse, uh, Kent Taylor, um, uh, his family, he, he took his own life on Thursday. And his family said he did it because he had unbearable, that's their word, suffering from symptoms related to COVID-19, including severe tinnitus or tinnitus, depending on how you pronounce it, mm-hmm. uh, including severe tinnitus. Yeah. So um, I've heard of people who have you know, like botched eye surgery and commit suicide because they can't, because it's so disruptive to their lives. They're so, it's, it's maddening. And I, I hadn't heard about yeah. uh, people doing it from tinnitus, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, so, anytime you have, have an ailment that is uh, severe and you weren't, you know, especially if you weren't expecting it, you may not be mentally equipped to deal with the, you know, the results of, you know, or your new situation at times. And so, you know, you, you urge those people to, you know, to talk to your doctor, to your loved ones, to a counselor, um, you know, call uh, suicide hotlines if you're if you're having, you know, thoughts about that, because there are ways to live with those ailments that are not, you know, y- your life may be different, but it doesn't mean that it's it's not worth living, that there are ways to live with that and still be a, a you know, a productive and happy person uh, with those that you love. And so... Um, you know, I urge anybody that's that's suffering through something like that, especially if it's it was you know quickly uh, quick onset and unexpected, to to be patient. It can, sometimes things can disappear as quickly as they appear, and even if your doctor says that you're going to live with this for the rest of your life, doctors don't know everything. Sometimes you might be, but you also might not. Um, and he, and if you are going to live with it for the rest of your life, there are things that can be done regardless of what your issue is that can help you live with that and and you know there's people who you can talk to uh to help you deal with the subsequent you know shock and depression that might come so so uh, i gotta tell you exactly get some help get some people get some yeah and if you see somebody who's suffering reach out and and help them some all it takes is one person caring and that can make a difference Mm -hmm. It is it is so windy out here. I'm sitting in my car, and I'm afraid to open my door because all you'll hear in my speaker is uh, wind. The car is shaking. It is blowing so hard out there. So, yeah. If You're you have blowing a away high, like the Wizard of Oz, right? Yeah. If you have a high-profile vehicle, stay off the freeways today if you can. Yeah. Because it is, it is really windy t- today. Yeah. And, and she's it, not talking about, like, something covered in gold lame. She's talking about vehicles that sit up high. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <sighs> you know, if you're driving the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile, probably best to just keep it in the garage today. Because it sits up high and it's a very high profile vehicle. <laughs> uh, 
but yeah. So it's interesting. Um, one of the things that, that can cause uh, the tinnitus is muscle spasms in the ear. Um, oh. you know, and, and so if you tend to have like twitchy muscles and muscles that will sometimes inexplicably, you know, contract uh, other places, it's very possible to have that happen in your ear as well. Um, cause there's tiny muscles up in there and that can cause, uh, that as well as, uh, TMJ. If you've got jaw problems, um, uh, if you had, uh, you know, um, uh, any kind of, uh, head or nerve injuries, those can cause the same kind of things. If you have, uh, arthritis, because there's some small bones in there, you can get, uh, uh, issues with, you know, the bones changing or stiffening and uh, because bones have some flex in them and if that flex goes away then uh that can also cause problems interesting yeah there's lots all all kinds of different things i'm looking at this like list of things that can that can cause tinnitus and it's like well if you get up in the morning and you're breathing then you could possibly get tinnitus (laughs) it's like this a long list of stuff but um but conditions including uh, diabetes, thyroid problems, migraines, anemia, autoimmune disorders, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, all have been associated with tinnitus. So head, neck, right. or brain tumors. Um, you know, so there's lots of different causes. Um, I think, like we said, the key, the key thing is, you know, don't panic. Talk to your doctor. Find out what the real prognosis real, you know, is. And and then you know if you're de- if you're upset about that and depressed about that then talk to somebody don't sit and mope, so which is oh so easy to do in these COVID times but things are opening up go for a walk see when your new so, movie theater when your local movie theater is going to open that that's a good thing. So there is a lawsuit happening that is going to be groundbreaking if it if yeah it's going to be groundbreaking. The, uh, the son of a billionaire industrialist and brother of a former Utah governor and U.S. ambassador is suing the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for fraud. Uh, this is James Huntsman. He's the brother, brother of John Huntsman. Um, and he, what he's saying is that he thinks that, um, that the Mormon church spent members' tithes on commercial purposes rather than charity. So these are tax uh, donation tax deductible donations you have to spend mm-hmm. them like on tax deductible um but you have to spend them on charitable purposes so like if you're a nonprofit and uh uh you're taking you know people give you donations you have to spend those donations the way that 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 you told people that you will spend them you can't you know buy the ceo a car when you said that you're going to feed the homeless you know what i'm saying so right um uh, the allegation also included in a ni- 2019 complaint made to the IRS. Uh, this was all in the. This was the allegation that was made to the IRS. A former investment manager, David Nielsen, said the church's invest said the church's investment division, Ensign Peak Advisors, has amassed 100 billion dollars in tax exempt donations, but had not directly funded any religious, educational, or charitable activities in 22 years. Oh, my God. Hmm. Nielsen further claimed Hmm. um, that $2 billion in tithing funds was used to bail out an insurance company and shopping mall in which the church had a vested had vested interest Um, in James Huntsman's federal suit filed Tuesday in California. He demands the return of at least five million dollars in donations. So he's saying this is according to Newser. 
Rather than using tithing funds for the promised purposes, the LDS Corporation secretly lined its own pockets uh, by using the funds to develop a multi-billion dollar commercial real estate and insurance empire. Um, it adds the church repeatedly refused the return of donations, effectively taking the position that it could do whatever it wanted with tithing funds. Um, and the, the church, the Mormons are expected to pay 10% of their income uh, to the church. Tithing funds are voluntary contribution used for a broad array of religious purposes, is what they say, for missionary work to building construction, yada, yada, blah, blah. They're, the church is saying this is baseless. Um, hmm. Well, but, uh, you know, it may be baseless, but that's what they're going to say. So I don't think them saying it's baseless means anything, you know. No, of course not. I mean, that's, what, that's why you pay your lawyers to say this is specious and, and yeah. you know, not fair and whatever, baseless. Yes, we're so, being attacked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah. it's, it's you know, you think about the mega churches, and it's not only, you know, this one's about the LDS church, but I also think of Joel Osteen's um, Houston mega church, and there's lots of others where it seems like, you know, your your people give their tithings to do the Lord's work, right? I mean, that's the point, right? And But mm-hmm. you see the, that the pastor and everybody else is living high on the hog, and um, although, let me, let me qualify that saying that everybody says, that I, people who like Joel Osteen says that he has that $10 million River, River Oaks mansion because of his book sales, not because of what he gets paid for from the church, uh, paid uh, uh, not his not his income from the church. Having said that, you know, are they as charitable as those dollars require? You know, in um, uh, and and what are because churches have always been exempt and they should be exempt. You know, I think of right uh, churches that run the gamut from and not even not only churches, religious organizations. There are yeah uh, Catholic charities. They're always my example. They do so much work in low income communities, from feeding the poor to uh, 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 doing um, uh, rental and uh, um, utility assistance to having um, uh, just food pantries as opposed to like in, in addition to serving food they have uh, clothing closets they have all kinds of stuff that they do job training etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, yeah yeah there's tons of stuff but I mean I think that while you know in order to maintain that they should be required to submit to to random audits you know i mean just just yeah. to verify that they're actually using the the funds in a in a fashion that's that 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 is charitable so you know the, that's my the feeling reason, the, the reason why you know and here here's the thing so if you're a, a nonprofit, you have to fill out a a 990 information return so you don't pay federal income taxes or state income taxes but you do have to do um uh, federal, you have to do federal and state information returns in which you list your highest donors, your highest paid staff, you know, your largest sources of income, and you have to attest to all of these things about how your money is used. Um, and, you know, the, the, the reason why we don't do this for, for religious purposes um, is, you know, in the same way, is that we have a freedom to associate with whomever we want, and we've never you know, our, the the churches and and synagogues, et cetera, are not they're not required to give roles of their membership, right? Because the government overseeing that seems like it would be against the First Amendment. Right. Um, um, having said that, if you have, you know, maybe there's a threshold with number of dollars moving through an organization that then mm-hmm. you have to fill out the 990. I, I, you know, maybe that's the 
Yeah. Maybe that's the right answer. You know, for the yeah, smaller that's kind of my, that's kind of my feeling on it. You know, and now you, I can understand those who would be out there saying, well, you know, there's supposed to be a separation of church and state and they're supposed to not get involved. And it's like, but, you know, the separation of church and state was the idea that the, that the government won't come in and say this is the religion of our country. Right. Um, that's different than than, you know turning your back completely and just saying, well, if you call yourself a religion, then you can do whatever you want and we won't look at you. That's not right either. So, you know, well, let me they, look at they, Scientology. So, yeah, you well, know, you look at, and I know there's been some cases about Scientology and about whether or not it's actually a religion and stuff. And honestly, I haven't followed that enough to know how that's all broken out and stuff in terms. I know that well, at, at least one case where they were sued and they were found to be a, a religion. And but they, I don't know. They, they are. They are listed as a religion, um, and they have also have billions of dollars. You know, right. and maybe maybe there's a threshold mm-hmm. on the financial side only, or there's a requirement that if you are, if you're as a church, you become so big that you have to create a five hundred one c three. That the church can only have so much in holdings before a nonprofit has to be formed. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that would be reasonable. Yeah, and, that, and that's kind of my feeling. How how we go about doing it? I mean, that makes sense to me you know, off the cuff, but I mean, how are we going about doing that or, or, you know, what the criteria are for that, you know, to be figured out. But that's my feeling anyway, is that, uh, you know, if they're, if they're using their funds for charitable purposes, then, then they remain tax free. Um, otherwise then they get taxed, you know, I mean, it's, if, if you're doing that to enrich the people who are running the organization, whether it's a religious organization or not, that to me, that doesn't, shouldn't matter. No, you know. then you're no better. Then you're no different from Hobby Lobby or In and Out or any of those that are right. that are companies that faith is front and center, and they have to follow the tax laws just like everybody else. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, news at the White House: the canines are returning. Both well, of President and First Lady's dogs, Major and Champ, have returned to the White House. They spent some time in Delaware after a biting incident where Major apparently. Uh, was surprised and uh, and bit a Secret Service person or nipped at him and uh, uh, and so he has been spending time uh, with a trainer while in Delaware, being uh, instructed in proper dog behavior within the White House, and so apparently well, you know and he was, was a puppy, right? He's three, but he was uh, surprised by an unfamiliar person and he resulted in a minor injury to that individual. So, you know, but I mean, if you're startled, if you're a dog and you're startled by someone you don't know, you're either going to run or hold your ground and attack, you know, and, and try to back off, you know, get whoever is there to back off, whatever has startled you. Um, he behaved the way a dog behaves. Um, right. And so they're training him to teach him to behave a little differently. And in, essentially, I think, you know, you just got to convince the dog that, hey, anybody who's here is supposed to be here, which is a scary thing. Right? Part of the reason some people have dogs is you want them to do that. You really want them to. Hey, if there's somebody in our house that's not supposed to be here, you know, you should be sounding the alarm and, and you know, stopping that person from coming in. Um, in the case uh, but that doesn't work when you live the, in the White House. <laughs> no. In the case of your dogs, it is uh, if there's somebody down the street outside, somebody, you know, if there's a, a whisper, a hint of somebody somewhere. <laughs> That's right. They sound the alarm. They're certainly not going to do any. They're not going to do any any real harm to anybody. Um, that said, you know, noise. I I'm appalled that our now toothless dog at one point uh, nipped at the calf of uh, my aunt who was visiting, and he broke the skin, and I felt awful. Oh I felt no. Terrible. I felt 
felt terrible. Um, yeah, um, my aunt Stephanie, um, and and I just I just to this day feel bad about that. It was like holy moly, um, you know. But uh, now he's toothless, so he, you know he would just leave a gum mark, a little slobber. <laughs> So, but he still barks. He still barks. He can't see anything. He's blind and toothless. He's old, but he's a good dog, you know. Uh, but that uh, I, I should have, you know, when he he was a little growly when they were there. And I thought, oh, OK, they'll settle down. And she got up to go to the bathroom and he jumped. And uh, now he's a wiener dog. So that's about as high up as he could jump possibly was, you know, the mid calf on somebody. But uh, yeah. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah. And they'll never visit again. Oh. I don't know that, but she she seemed she seemed I mean, she's not thrilled with it obviously, but I mean she seemed okay with it. I should have put the stupid dogs away. I felt terrible. So But yes, dogs are, are wonderful, but they do come with some work, you know. Not only the cleanup and, and caring feeding of them, but also the training of them and the the socialization of them. But, uh, you know, you've got dogs, you've got cats. I've had cats. They're wonderful. Pets are wonderful things. So. So we have an update on uh, Prince Harry and, and Meghan Markle. Um, they admitted Monday that they were not married in a secret in secret three days before their public ceremony, like they claimed during in an, an interview with Oprah Winfrey. What a stupid thing to lie about. So this is according to the Daily Beast. <sighs> Uh, here's Why, a quote. Yeah. And it the calls couple, into question everything else they say. Yes. The couple exchanged personal vows a few days before their official legal wedding on May 19th. So it wasn't that they were married. Um, they were they just exchanged personal vows. Um, uh-huh. uh, so it wasn't a legal thing. So but still, what a dumb thing to lie mm-hmm. about. Well, in in the UK, I may be wrong on this, but I've I've heard that that's not an uncommon thing where they'll have like a a um, like a private ceremony or a, a, a like a, a ceremony, but then the legal marriage is is basically when you go to their their um, courthouse where it's then then you officially are married and they give you the document that says you're married there. Now, of course, with the royals, it's probably a little different typically, but uh, yes. So a lot of people will have like a church wedding or a backyard wedding, but then they're not officially married until they go do the other thing. And so sometimes it's done before the the show wedding and sometimes it's done after the show wedding. But you, you have to go march down to the courthouse and they don't even call it courthouse. I can't remember the right term, but you go down and, and you know, file your paperwork. And, and honestly, that's how it is here, too. I mean, you know, you're not legally married until until the person who, who does the ceremony signs the document uh, that then gets filed with the county saying that you have a marriage license, you know, you get a marriage license, but then it gets signed. And that's once, once it's signed by the, whoever the officiant is, whether it be a, you know, a preacher or a priest or a rabbi or, or a, a non-denominational, non-religious person who's certified to do this, you know, they sign off on it with some witnesses and that's when you're actually married. So this is the quote from the daily wire. The ex royal couple claimed in a Sunday interview with Oprah Winfrey that they were actually married three days before their public wedding at a private ceremony attended only by themselves and the Archbishop of Canterbury. Experts say the couple either lied about the private ceremony or insist it was illegitimate under the Church of England law. Reverend Canon Giles Fraser, 
uh, the rector of St. Mary Newington Church in London, asserted that Harry and Meghan's private ceremony was not a wedding. At most, it was a church blessing. It wasn't a wedding. It can't have been, Fraser told Insider. It was probably a blessing that they got married legally at Windsor. The reverend also tweeted out a photo of the couple's marriage license that stated the couple was to be married in the St. George's Chapel in Windsor, not in a garden ceremony like the couple claimed in an interview. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, what a dumb thing to lie about. And she, yeah, you know, if you're gonna have this this like bare your soul type of thing, don't lie about anything because that calls everything you said into question. Yes, I mean they could have said we had a we had a preview that was very intimate. It wasn't a wedding, but yeah. we exchanged vows. And but that's yeah. not what they said. Yeah, yeah, it's dumb. It's dumb. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you wonder where else they bent the truth a little bit. Hmm? Yeah, I'm so irritated right now. Hmm. You know. Hmm. <laughs> Things that make you go, hmm. <laughs> I used to love so. that show. I thought he was a great talk show host, Arsenio Hall, when he did that. You know, when he yeah. had his talk show. I mean, it, it. he kind of burnt out. I think he was sort of, you know, burning the candle at both ends while sniffing powder in the middle. Um, and so he had some <laughs> issues there, but, uh, but the, the show was side. entertaining. Yeah. It, the show was entertaining and it had a completely different energy than other, other late night talk shows. And, and that was fun. So, yeah. you know, and I, right now the three late, big late night talk shows you flip between, uh, you know, they're basically all sort of the same humor coming from the same place. They're all very left wing jokes and, and, um, at least when they're doing political comedy, um, you know, Colbert's a slightly different style than the other two, but you know, Kimmel's Kimmel's probably a little more biting in his humor. Um, but uh, I don't see a whole lot of difference between the shows. I flip back and forth between them at different times when I'm up that late, which is not that often. I don't watch any of them. I don't find them funny anymore. Yeah, on it's occasion I will catch the. The monologue at the front end and uh yeah sometimes I, sometimes they're good sometimes they're not you know it's uh hit and miss i actually watched more of it when um right after covid sort of hit and the lockdowns happened because it was interesting to see how they each handled that and what they were doing and they were all kind of trying to do shows from home and um uh the tonight show i thought was the one that handled it best um um what was his name? Uh, uh, Jimmy. It's the other Jimmy, not Kimmel. Uh, Fallon. Jimmy Fallon. Thank you. Yeah, Jimmy Fallon was doing it from uh, from uh, I I don't know if it's his only house or one of his houses, but he like his wife was sort of the camera person as they were doing it. They very intentionally did it, sort of like uh, an at home show. It was funny. His daughters, who are real are young and adorable, were like you know they would hold up like a, a handwritten sign that would say you know up next or something. It was just it was hilarious and cute. Um, you know that would have gotten tiring after a while, but he actually, I you know, pulled it off. You know, and then he would do interviews via Skype um, that had been like done earlier in the day or something, and then rolled into it. And I enjoyed that. That was fun and it was different. Um, but now they're all back in their studios, sitting behind their desks, doing the same thing that they always do. And it's just like, okay, same old, same old. 
you know. So we are completely out of time. We are. It's all over. We have to say goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) But that's all right. We'll be back tomorrow. So thanks for joining us. We appreciate your listening. I'm Todd Brinker. I'm Aaron Brinker. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.